Welcome to episode 41 of the PharmExec podcast. I'm Kristen Harm, associate editor and podcast host for PharmExec magazine. PharmExec magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. So today, Elaine and I have uh, the pleasure of interviewing Janine Lynch. She's the senior director at Biomarin Pharmaceuticals, and she oversees patient access services at the Rare Disease Biopharma Company. She's here to talk to us about the patient journey in regard to receiving therapies, and she also talks about how to engage with patients more effectively and where she sees the pharma industry in terms of patient engagement and patient centricity. We had a really good time recording this podcast, so I can't wait for you guys to hear what Janine has to say. But before we get started, I just want to let you all know that we recently wrote up a very quick survey to get a better understanding of you guys, our listeners, and like how you guys consume our show, how to get you the content that you're interested in, and what you guys are interested in hearing about as we move into the new year. Jeez, I can't even believe that we're talking about the new year. Um, and that it's going to be 2020 in the blink of an eye. I just, I remember when it was like 2000. Anyway, so if you wouldn't mind taking five minutes to click the link in our bio and complete the survey, we'd greatly appreciate it. You can actually also access the survey through our social media channels like Twitter. And then um, if you are subscribed, we'll be sending them out in e-newsletters in the weeks to come. And then also you can find it on our website. Thank you guys in advance for completing that survey, it will really help us out a lot. So real quick, we're just gonna take a break to hear a word from our sponsor, Finger Paint, and then we're gonna return with Janine's interview. Scientists believe that the human eye can see about a million colors. At Finger Paint, we think that's a good start. We're an agency that believes in giving your brand the color and the marketplace approach that no one has ever seen before. Finger paint, never paint by number. Welcome podcasters. Today, Elaine Quilici, our senior editor and I will be interviewing Janine Lynch, senior director at Biomarin Pharmaceuticals. Janine oversees patient access services at the Rare Disease Biopharma Company, and she has a really unique way of looking at the patient journey in regard to receiving therapies. Thanks for joining us today, Janine. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. We're excited to see what you have to say um, for our listeners today. So let's get started with your background. You have a pretty uh, your background's diverse, but all your experiences seem to come to play in your current role. So could you describe your own journey to where you are today? Sure. Um, and again, thank you for the invitation today. Um, well, the way I think about it is patient access services takes a lot of rigor and discipline and an eye towards operational excellence. And there's a need to balance long-term vision, strategy, execution, and also an understanding of how to navigate a wide range of complexities to understand, you know, some of the implications that can be material to an individual or a company. And so I've had uh, the pleasure to launch multiple products in various therapeutic areas and build programs across a wide variety of unmet patient needs. And part of my journey has included 
you know, being open to constantly learning. So people say learning is an opportunity. So I'm abound. I have an abundance <laughs> of opportunities here. Um, but my introduction to assessing really complex system started when I worked as uh, an analyst at the Office of Management and Budget, also known as, you know, OMB. And this is a part of the office of the president. And I was fortunate enough to work during the first Bush and Clinton years. And it was really fascinating after graduate school, uh, where I studied public health, where I was looking at large healthcare systems, and then to transition over into OMB and looking at large health finance systems. So I worked on Medicare Part B. Um, following this, I went into consulting and I worked with a healthcare consultant and work with multiple device pharmaceutical matching manufacturers while working um, in DC again. So DC, there's a part of me that really enjoys DC, the political side, the dynamic side of the environment there. And so from consulting, healthcare systems, and public health, um, it seemed like I had a knack for integrating complexities and and robust decision making and it really proved to be useful because then I moved um, from consulting into one of my uh, my clients um, which was a startup that focused on HIV AIDS and this was many years ago when combination therapy was first being introduced and I would say that's the start of understanding the importance of the patient journey and understanding the patient's perspective in a particular disease. So I had a wonderful team um, that worked closely with community advocates and it was predominantly in populations that were underserved. So at that point in time, it was women, it was African-American and it was Latino and who were HIV positive. Again, this was when combination therapy was first introduced. And so I had feet on the ground, you know, listening to these unmet needs, which, you know, spanned emotional, psychosocial, economic, lack of education, and really at the core of it, which was really fascinating me and took me back to the public health years and study of this lack of trust for industry. Um, so in listening to the people and understanding these various perspectives, we were really able to uh, develop a patient journey that mapped out how we could work with these various communities. And it felt like we were like paving a way on a road that had been less traveled. Um, these were underserved populations across many different aspects. And then over the years, um, the considerations have become more complex. You know, the healthcare system has become more complex. So it was important, again, to really understand how an individual fits into the complexity of this healthcare system, and more importantly, how that system has to work around the individual. And so looking at it from a 30,000 foot view, going down to an individual level has been very beneficial. And all those different pieces have influenced, you know, how I build and engage patients and patient access programs, you know, as well, people change, life changes. So that's the constantly learning part because there are always new challenges.
So to build off of that, how do you build out your patient access programs? Well, sometimes you just have to sit back and pause a moment rather than just diving right in. Um, but then when you, you sit back, I, I think it, it goes into, I think there's three central tenets that really help you focus and think about across what I, what I mentioned earlier, all these different influences. And it's almost like the sphere of influence um, in, in healthcare. So there are patients, there are payers, you know, insurance, there's uh, the distribution channels, you know, pharmacies, uh, there's product attributes and safety concerns and caregivers and all those considerations. So if you're starting, I start with empathy and respect. And that's really for the disease and for the people in which you are trying to support. Then I would say the next tenant, I would call it, is really to find what are you solving for and understand how a product's going to address an unmet need. Is it going to disrupt, enhance, support current practices? And then I would say um, the third tenet is really, you know, building out these process flows and maps that really integrate all these considerations. And at, when you're starting this, it represents your best guess of how it all integrates and how it may play out and then how then to use it to align across the organization. So that was quite a bit of information I probably packed into those three tenets. Um, the goal though is to smooth out the patient experience as much as possible um, by really designing relevant support programs and individual well-being, safety, uh, and to do so in a compliant manner is of utmost um, importance and cannot be emphasized enough. So I'm happy to go into more detail on those tenets if you like, um, but those are, those are the three uh, areas that, that I begin with. That's great. Thank you. In relation to that, with that increased focus on the patient comes an increased scrutiny from the DOJ. And there have been some high-profile cases in regard to patient access programs. So how do you and your colleagues keep on top of helping patients in a compliant way? Mm -hmm. No, this is a great question, and it's very relevant. And so understanding the broader environment and compliance standards uh, requires expertise. There's no question about that. So uh, my team, we work hand-in-hand -hand with our compliance colleagues um, to standards and they keep us within appropriate parameters. Um, healthcare information and patient engagement um, really needs to be treated with the utmost respect and our compliance partners guide us through that. So what we do in the early thinking when we're going back to those tenants that I mentioned um, and we're starting to um, want to access information, speak to people. Our compliance partners are there, and I always say they're holding our hand, <laughs> but they really are our partners, that, and we bring them in on our early thinking, and they provide inputs and guidance through this development process. So then what we're able to do, because we've really built it from the foundation of the compliance considerations, uh, we use this as well to socialize it across the organization. And again, this helps to set a standard and allows for better integration. 
of the patient perspective, the compliance standards we want to adhere to. And when you, when you put it together like that and you view it from this lens, you know, the patient journey also helps you, like I mentioned earlier, is a roadmap for internal alignment across the organization. So the, the compliance cannot be understated. It's very important. Okay, so Janine, what do you do to ensure you are engaging patients? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, and I would probably say, you know, the beauty of really designing what we call process flows and maps, which, which are the, I would say, more or less the technical side of um, engaging patients, is that when you're developing ideas and processes, you want to challenge your assumptions. So you gather information, you, you put a framework and structure together. And then, and you've done this because you've done some initial research, you've done focus groups, and it's really no small task to design these patient journeys and maps. And we're constantly evaluating what is real versus what is perceived. Um, to ensure what we're trying to design uh, will be relevant over the longer term. And so what is visioned up front, and that's what I said, that initial mapping, after you gain experience using data and inputs, um, it might look very different by the you get to the end. But how we really go about engaging patients is that, and I, I, I would say this in all capitals, listen and you observe. And you can do some of this uh, through focus groups, and there's something that I've used before, um, it's called ethnographic research. And this was, I think, from back in my public health days, um, I was introduced to this. And what it is, it's, it, it gives you a sense of the day in the life. So prior to doing this, um, the ethnographic research, now we had conducted, as an example, we had conducted interviews and focus groups with individuals who are afflicted with this one disease that I'm thinking about. But when we're, when we're trying to build the map and put the pieces together, something seemed to be missing because this treatment, we knew occupied uh, a significant part of the day, but we couldn't really, and I'm gonna put this in quote, really see what that looked like. And it wasn't until you know, we got the appropriate permissions and authorizations to have a video team go into a patient's home and film them, and that's where I call it ethnographic research is uh, the day in the life, where we truly understood what was going on. So what we saw, and this did not come out in focus groups or in any interviews, what we saw was a, a child getting up about two hours before they went to school. And what they were doing, it was dark, the house was dark. Uh, they'd go to the refrigerator, open uh, the refrigerator, you saw them getting their breakfast. And what you really saw was a combination of them living their life, getting ready to treat their disease, and then how it integrated into their family. So this individual got up, like I said, two hours before. Their parent had laid out their medication the night before, and they did their therapy. They took, I can't even describe how many bottles of pills there were. Um, and those, I'll say the parent had laid them out the night before, and it occupied an entire cabinet in their house. So this was profound. 
to really see this. And this was two hours before school. So when you think about that from a child's perspective, if they have to get ready to get up for school, let's just say seven o'clock, this person was up at five o'clock in the morning preparing for their disease. So that's what I'm talking about when you can see it. And then that really helped us design some tools and um, um, some educational pieces for the caregivers, um, the family, the parents as well, so that they can help this child organize, you know, their routines better. I mean, it sounds minor, but for them, it was significant. And, and uh, we got feedback later, you know, from two hours, it, there was a reduction there. And then the sequence and what they were doing to understand, well, you can take these pills in the morning and these midday or these in the afternoon. So they were able to make minor adjustments, but yet still get the therapy they needed. So it was, it was really interesting. But so engaging patients, you do it in many different ways, but you really want to get as close to understanding what their experience is. So then you can design relevant programs. Wow, that was a really great example. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, sure. Seeing as your company deals with patients with rare and often debilitating diseases, how does engaging the rare disease patient differ from larger market populations? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and you know what? There really are some differences. Um, in in rare, di- rare disease, it seems like you, chan- you have a chance to have a very high impact and go very deep into understanding the multiple um, aspects of a disease. So um, I've worked across, let me see, some to, as an example, HIV AIDS, cystic fibrosis, um, end-stage renal disease or ESRD, metabolic inborn errors, and a host of other uh, genetic disorders. So a number of rare diseases. And I would say that two differences come to mind. And it's even before you get further down into that patient journey, it's really up up front. Um, And one thing I would say is how a patient is diagnosed and then how or where will this disease be treated from a holistic view. And I kind of go back and forth sometimes with treating the disease um, and then what the patient needs. So, uh, and I, I... tend to go to examples. So imagine if you're a parent with a child and something just didn't seem quite right with your newborn or your one-year-old. And I know I have uh, kids and I'm very mindful of their development. And I have two at the same, so I have twins. And so I compare, even though I know I'm not supposed to, but I'm a parent and that's what I do. Um, But imagine, you know, being a parent and thinking, something is just not quite right. So you talk to your pediatrician, you talk to other, you go to a few different um, physicians, healthcare providers, and you know something's not quite right. And, you know, and there are some symptoms that they find. And so they, they start treating a symptom. And then it may seem to get better, but then the parents say, mm, something still is not quite right. So you finally get to a specialist and the specialist explains and then treats maybe yet another symptom. And these different health concerns still keep coming up. Well, years later, you may finally get a referral to a geneticist who runs a test and discovers, you know, your child has a genetic disorder. So the question then becomes, how did it take so long to diagnose? And I just give this as a, a bit of a, a synopsis uh, of what I hear for in the rare disease world is that 
there's there's anguish for parents and yet relief when they hear that something they subconsciously knew was accurate. There was something that needed to, something was going on. So we refer to this as a, a diagnostic odyssey. So in rare disease, sometimes it takes many, many years to diagnose. So I'd say that's, that's one difference, and that's upfront. Another difference I would suggest is once you have a diagnosis, you you're diagnosed with a rare disease, where does this individual go and where does this parent take their child to treat it from a holistic view? So you might go to one specialist for um, your heart. You might go to another one for your kidneys, another one for any other condition, bone. But where is the holistic treatment? So our healthcare system um, really doesn't have rare disease clinics, and we have multiple organs that are affected. Where where does this individual go? So understanding what I'm just going to call like a medical home or the primary point of of engagement is it can be challenging. So those two things I would say start off with what rare disease, how rare disease is different. Overall, where do you see the pharmaceutical industry as a whole? in regard to patient engagement or patient centricity? Mm -hmm. Now, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, the pharmaceutical industry has really, really made strides, I would say. And it's really wonderful to see. Most companies really strive to be patient-centric. And I would say there's a spectrum of patient-centricity. Um, and so on one end, you might say unengaged. On the other one, I, it could be highly, highly integrated. So in an unengaged scenario, and I don't think there are a lot of companies there, but just for the sake of our discussions and to put some bookends, um, in an unengaged scenario, there may be a few pictures on the wall, brochures, and there's really no patient journey. It doesn't exist. Support programs are established really without the consideration of the true unmet patient needs, meaning the individual has to fit into the system rather than the support being built around the individual. And then on the other side, I would say it's a highly integrated model. And this is where patients' unmet needs are discussed and considered, built across programs, across functions, that's on the commercial side, R&D, marketing, advocacy, all the various functions that work together to bring products to market. And even to go as far as patient centricity is stated as a value or part of the mission of the organization. In a highly integrated model, it's ingrained in the thinking and execution. It means allocating resources to keep the patient journey or mapping or considerations front and center year over year. And as well, you know, you can look at the executive team about setting example of saying, you know, patients first. Um, and it, it just builds and goes from there. So there is no one right way uh, since every manufacturer really needs to consider how they do this based on where they are in their stage of um, development. But it's really exciting to hear that um, some companies are moving towards a highly, uh, I would say a more 
integrated model um, and placing patient centricity at the highest levels by way of a position called chief patient officers. Smaller and medium-sized companies could also consider establishing, you know, this, this foundation based on patient needs. But regardless, again, of the sides, focusing on patients um, and surrounding influences uh, makes good business sense across not just healthcare, but just industry in general. So I'm really hopeful um, for what I'm seeing in the healthcare industry with manufacturers that will continue to move towards a highly integrated patient centricity model. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. I think all these points are really beneficial to, uh, to our listeners. You know, we're always talking about patient engagement and centricity, but we often don't delve deeper into the details. And I think that's really important for a clear understanding. So thanks for that. And thank you for taking the time out. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Finger paint. Never paint by number. Visit us at fingerpaint.com. And now it's time for this week's leadership tips from pharma execs. Hi, I'm Janine Lynch, Senior Director at Biomarin Pharmaceuticals, and my leadership tip is build effective, high-performing individuals and teams by pushing past your comfort zone and what's familiar. Make room for diversity in experience, diversity in thought, diverse personalities and life experiences, because a dynamic environment stretches everyone to deliver lasting results that will benefit patients and the company. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's PharmaExec podcast sponsored by FingerPaint. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the PharmaExec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at PharmaExec.com, on Twitter at PharmaExec, on Instagram at PharmaExecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of PharmaExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email Editorial Director Lisa Henderson at lhenderson at mmhgroup.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mmhgroup.com. <laughs>